Welcome to Everyday Strong, the podcast that teaches parents, teachers, and other caring adults how their everyday loving actions can help their teens cope with anxiety and depression. Hi, everyone. This is Michael Ian. I'm here today with a very special guest, um, Representative Marsha Judkins. She represents District 61 and I have to say that every time I am at some kind of substance abuse prevention night or something, she is one of our government representatives who is always there. And I really appreciate that about her. And so when we connected with her, when someone from my team connected with her, we said, let's go on a podcast together. Let's talk. Um, She's definitely someone that I wanted to have. In addition to, you know, working in local government, she also teaches math at UVU in the quantitative and math reasoning department. And she is a grandmother of 13 grandchildren. So Marcia Judkins, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for inviting me. You know, a question that I've enjoyed starting off with lately is um, we talk a lot about the power of caring adults and how much that can build resilience in youth. When you think back on your own childhood, was there an adult or maybe more than one who really had a strong relationship with you? Yes, I actually am extremely lucky when I look back on my life. You know, when you're a kid, a lot of times you don't think you're that lucky. Your parents Um, embarrass you or whatever. (laughs) But um, I come from uh, and my mom and dad um, both were very, very caring. My dad was a high school math teacher. My mom was an elementary school teacher and then stayed home to raise the kids. And in particular, too, I look at my my mom's mom, my grandma, and she had this ability to make me feel, and I know she made her other grandchildren feel this way, too, but I think that it really was true with me uh, that I was her favorite grandma. Oh, yeah. Like, she uh-huh. just loved me no matter what. It didn't matter I knew I had unconditional love from her and uh, that really has impacted me. It still impacts me to this day. Yeah. You know, um, I was just talking yesterday to some amazing community advocates in Linden and Pleasant Grove and we were sort of debating, you know, this, um, this energy that sometimes we see in kids where like, like the, the specific question was like, you know, if they act out and then I give them like a hug as a way to try to connect with them, isn't that just like rewarding bad behavior? And um, I think there's something to that, which maybe we could talk about a little bit in a minute. Uh-huh. But what I also said to this person who asked the question is I said, like, you know, you would never like look at a plant and say like, well, until you shape up, I'm going to withhold water. Uh-huh. And like, and that's just nonsense to say that. And so to say that your grandmother had unconditional love for you, I can only imagine that really contributed to your thriving. Yeah, it did. And I I feel like parents, it's it's hard to be a parent. I refuse. It's just so hard to be a parent. And you hear conflicting ideas about about how to raise your child or, you know, getting too much of this or not enough of that. Don't do this, do that. And it and it tends to change over the years. I've seen it change with you know, how, what the philosophies were when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. when I raised my kids and then now, and, and it's really hard, but I do, I think one of the things that we can hold on to, and it doesn't always come, come clear with all these philosophies, but 
But love is always the answer. There can never be too much love, right? And that doesn't mean you give a kid everything they want, right? right. But to feel that unconditional love from somebody, mm-hmm. it's, I don't think there's anything more powerful. No, no, there really, really isn't. And it's also one of, I think, the hardest things to do mm-hmm. as a caring adult, as a person. Um, one of the things that you and I were talking about just before this is um, what of these generational wars maybe that we get into. Uh-huh. And, you know, you're a college professor, you teach, and I hear a lot of people just being like, oh, these kids, these days. Wow. It's not the most loving rhetoric I've ever heard. <laughs> what would you uh-huh. say to this? You know, I I understand. Sometimes I'm thinking the same thing, right? Like sometimes it's like, oh my goodness. But um, I, there's this generation and ever when I say this generation, the college students that I see, they have, they've had to develop different kinds of skill sets, you know, and, mm-hmm. and life does change. You can't just, it, it, it's hard for those of us who are older. We like, oh, well, we worked really hard. And, and one of the things, I mean, maybe I'm going off on a tangent here. No. But I feel like we often think that the world was created or our, our traditions and the way that we do things, it's right. You know, this mm-hmm. is right. Somehow this is created and it's right. But it has changed throughout history. And so yeah. when we think of a 40-hour work week, oh, but that's, that means you're not lazy if you're working 40 hours, I mean, or, you know, or 80 hours whatever. if you're a lawyer yeah. or, or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. But, but that's just a, a made-up number that somebody mm-hmm. came up with, you know, or that, that kind of fell into their a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. women and children were working 80 hours a week, you know? Yeah. But then we had to have somebody come in and say, a woman actually, you know, saying, no, this isn't right. Yeah. This is too much. And, and so it's, it's, easy, it's easy for me to sometimes think, well, the way I did things is the right way, you know, and this is the way it should be. Without realizing times really do change. And there are always different ways and better ways to do everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. Well, and especially like, you know, I think it's, things are changing so fast. And I, I hear people talk a lot about, I think they often think, well, it's cell phones that are making our youth the way that they are or whatever. Uh-huh. And, um, and I think what I see more than anything, more than any one particular technology, is just the rapid rate of technology change uh-huh. and so to be flexible and adaptable and not stuck in a, like one particular way of doing things I mean that's the advantage that a young brain has even much less yes. like how our youth are approaching the problem like their brains are just more adaptable that's the only way we're going to get through some of our biggest problems oh I think that's a really good point um and and I do, I do worry, I have to say, part of um, one of the classes that I teach is, uh, is quantitative reasoning. It, and it has, we, I teach in that, within there, there's just little, little pockets of logic and we have to teach critical thinking skills and how to look at an argument and all that stuff. And, and I do worry sometimes, and it's not just among the youth, but it's among, I see it at all age levels mm-hmm. that where we're losing critical thinking skill where yeah. where we we can take an issue and and see both sides of an issue and come up with arguments for both sides of an issue that are real 
logical arguments where you actually have, you know, premises that are sound and that to a conclusion mm-hmm. like that. So, so much of the stuff we hear and, and unfortunately on social media or, or anywhere, even in the news, a lot of times is, is rhetoric and, yeah. and they're using, you know, fallacies to reason. And, and if we can't see that, if we can't, if we don't know, and I'm going to speak from a math perspective, because of course, yes. you know, I'm impartial, but if we don't know how to use percentages, if we don't know if people can manipulate numbers in so many ways and they can manipulate facts and manip- and if we aren't trained or looking at that with a critical eye, mm-hmm. that's, that to me makes me more nervous. Yes. Right. And that's like a skill that supersedes like anything else, like any, whether or not you work 40 hours, whether or not you do this exact Uh thing, like, yeah, 100%. Yeah. I want to take a little bit of a conversational leap here. I don't know if this is totally off base, Um, but especially with you being in politics. So one of the things that we talk a lot about in Everyday Strong is we talk about how all humans have needs. They have the need to feel safe, the need to feel connected, and the need to have like skills and competency. And those kind of stack, right? Like often uh-huh. like that need for feeling safe is like a much more almost like primal, like baseline yes. sensation. And I see this a lot um, in politics and in youth where it's almost like we're not thinking like the level of competence, critical thinking, because we're stuck down in this sense of like, Something bad is going to happen to me and my family if I don't get really angry about uh-huh. insert X issue. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Does this track with your experience? Yeah, I can see. I can see where what you're saying with that, and sort of. I, I, tell me if I'm if I'm going off yep. incorrectly. But um, part of the polarization in politics mm-hmm. is people not feeling safe, like yeah. feeling. Yes, like that's what I mean. coming to take away their rights, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The rights that that are theirs, and um, and when we get into that 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 part of our brain mm-hmm. that doesn't allow for critical thinking, that just allows for emotion, you know, mm-hmm. and fear and and reaction, mm-hmm. it's it's really difficult to reason with somebody who's yeah. there. Yes. and then when you when you add into it the hierarchy of needs, like you're saying, when we have children or young adults or whoever who are in situations that don't feel safe, because so many of our so many of our families are in situations where they don't know where they're going to, they don't have their health care. You know what I mean? And if you're always just trying to to figure that out, and it really is difficult to utilize those critical thinking skills to to make sense of the world and and want to even move away from that place where you feel most comfortable, right? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. know people who think just like me, I feel comfortable here. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't want the discomfort of having to try to figure out something else. This is really what I see, you know, when I hear people accusing the youth of being pathetic or whatever, right? Like I look at them mm-hmm. and I'm like, I, I think they're just not feeling like emotionally, emotionally safe enough to take risks sometimes, right? And so, yeah, like everything you said, it just resonates so much with what I'm observing as well. And I'm curious, like when you work with youth, like how, like, do you have strategies for encouraging them to kind of push beyond like what they think they can do? Um, 
you know, it's easier for me because I take these students, I'm not their parent, you know what I mean? So I just only have them for a while and I have a specific skill that I'm trying to teach. Yes. Yeah. And what I do in my classroom is I let them know my number one goal in here is to help you be competent in this subject, right? Like it's to make you feel like you can succeed in this subject and help you succeed. Mm -hmm. And and at the very beginning, and it's unfortunate because some kids don't come to the first day of class, you know, because because they don't know their schedule or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I do a lesson on um, on gross mindset and how Mm -hmm. our brain grows and our our brain grows through making mistakes and then looking at those mistakes and saying, hmm, what happened here? Being curious, you know, and how can I fix this mistake or what do I need to do and what help do I have around me? that can help me with this mistake. And, um, and so, and I try to show that also in my classroom, I make lots of mistakes. I actually have some dyslexia and I tell them that, and I say, I am going to be making mistakes on this board. And I expect you to tell me when I make a mistake. Uh And I want you to help me through Mm -hmm. this mistake. And I already have, but it's only the second week of school. And I've already made lots of mistakes on the board Mm -hmm. because I'll switch things around or, or whatever. And um, try to make them feel comfortable making mistakes. And I also, and some students hate this, but I do have them come up to the board and work problems. And I I try to have more than just one at a time up there. You know, I've called like four students to work on some different problems. But, But I tell them, this is your chance to figure out where the mistakes are. And then we all can help you, you know, and you don't have to worry about making a mistake. And a lot of them come up are just like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know how to start. And it's like, no, you know how to start. Just write the problem down. That's mm-hmm. the way to start. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is there anything in this problem that looks familiar to you? Oh, there's an addition there. Does that look familiar? You know what I mean? Like, so, so that's one thing I think is great about math is it teaches you to take something that looks gnarly, that looks like you can't handle it and it's too big. And just see, oh, can I see a pattern? Oh, is there something familiar? I can break this down and I can come up with a solution at the end. And mm-hmm. it's just this beautiful process, in my opinion, you know, mm-hmm. to me, that's, it's this beautiful process. And you can do that in life. You have this big, gnarly, awful problem, but there's something about it that, mm-hmm. that, you, can, that you can look at that seems familiar that maybe you can fix. Oh, is it too tricky? Reach out to a friend. Oh, you know, can you do this one thing that will maybe help? I don't know. Just, I don't know. Math is the answer to all life's problems. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, I, I love this so much. Like there's so many things there that are just so like rich with like pattern to like to emulate. Um, I mean, um, you know, it's, um, it's so, I mean, honestly, as you're, as you're describing this, I'm like, I want to be in your math class. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I'm sure I mean, there's students who would trade you places. So. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure. But I mean, this is this is the thing, right? Is like, how do we, as caring adults, you know, support our students in in or our our children or whatever our relationship is into learning something new? And often, when I talk about emotional safety, I get a little bit of pushback of like, well, doesn't that just mean that they'll never do anything ever and they'll just stay at home? And like what I what I'm trying to figure out how to teach is in essence what you just described, right? Where you you set a stage where you say, 
mistakes are going to happen. And in fact, even a, even even me, who ostensibly is a person in power or with more knowledge or whatever, you know, you're setting mm-hmm. that stage for safety to fail and you're supporting them through it, but you're also letting them take the risk. You're like, you're, you're creating an environment where risk is possible. And that's what I hear you describing. And that is, I mean, it's gorgeous. I love it. Oh, thank you. And as you were talking, you know, mm-hmm. I had to bring some politics into it too, but mm-hmm. some government, um, I think of education and, and the way that government has set it up is that we have these high expectations. And I think I, I, this to me is an analogy for a kid sometimes. If, if we create these high expectations for something, but then we don't give them any room for failure. Yes. Because honestly, if an educator does something that a parent doesn't like, or if a school doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, or if a district, oh my goodness, do they get raked over the coals for that? Mm-hmm. So they don't want to step out of line. There are better ways to teach our kids, most likely, because there's always better ways to do everything. Yes. But but if they try something new mm-hmm. and it doesn't work, mm-hmm. they are just going to be castigated, right? Yes. Like, and, and so I feel like from just what you were saying just made me think, we need to create those kinds of spaces everywhere where it's yes. okay to try and take a risk. Yes. Exactly. Um, and I think like, like this is exactly what I see. I think that you're, you're so accurate here that it's just sort of pervading all of society that, you know, if you don't say it exactly the right way or do it exactly the right way, or even just do it the way that I would do it, then mm-hmm. you're in big trouble. And this is where like, you know, you get insane PR coverage <laughs> that you never yeah. wanted to have to deal with. And, and I think, I think, I think, you know, we talk a lot about how, you know, youth have all these problems of being like bullied on, on like social media, you know, like one photo, uh-huh. one mistake goes viral. I mean, what about that one teacher whose one mistake goes viral or whatever it is, right? Yeah. And yeah. that's not yes. healthy for any of us. No. And I've seen that. I've seen that. I've seen the repercussions that come from that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's stifling to everyone. Mm-hmm. Just stifles, stifles everything. And, and yeah. Well, yeah. I'm curious then, like, you've given me some examples about how you do this in the classroom, how we're going to push back against this societal trend, right? Uh-huh. We're going to, we're going to do it in our own relationships. Do you do this like with your grandkids or like where else does this show up for you? You know, peanut grandparents. It's, it's pretty easy. amazing. It's the easier gig, maybe. It's it's the easier gig. And then actually, I'm I'm babysitting. I shouldn't say babysitting. These are all older grandkids. Um, the youngest is 10. I'm babysitting four of them right now mm-hmm. while their parents are in Hawaii from ages mm-hmm. 10 to 16. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yesterday we just sat and watched movies. And I, you know, it's, mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about their development stuff. And so it's, being a grandparent's easy yeah. And yes. I do feel like any any adult who can be because parents, it's hard. It it's like parents, you've got to teach your kids this, plus you have to be the safe space, plus you have to be this, plus you have to be that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if if there is another parent whether or another adult, whether it's a friend or an aunt or an uncle yeah. or grandparent or somebody who can be the one who's just says, you know what, you can dress like that and I don't care. I just think you're great. 
Mm-hmm. You don't have to practice the piano. I still think you're great. You know, uh-huh. whatever it is. And poor parents, they have to take all the hard stuff on. But that was, I just see that in my growing up. And like I said, my parents were fantastic, but they did. Mm-hmm. They made me work. They made me, you know, they made me do all this stuff. Whereas my grandma, she'd say, oh, you want to clean my stove? Here, I'll give you 20 bucks for cleaning my stove. Or, yeah. oh, you just want to sit and eat whipping cream? You go right ahead. And yeah. And I don't know. It's just really nice to have somebody who is, who is that. And I don't know that, that's, I'm not a psychology major. I'm not a doctor. I'm not anything. So no, I probably right. shouldn't you know, be trying to prescribe anything. But, but I think it's really nice. Yeah, I, I think, think you're offering an insight about about your own experience, right? And this is what I think one of the big things with Everyday Strong is we're always saying like, you don't have to be an expert to have an instinct, right? On what maybe could could work, right? Um, yeah. Like all of us are in relationships all day long. And I, I really, really love what you said about how not just putting it all on the parents um, because, you know, one of the things that like, I think we often overlook is that we talk about the needs of youth and how are we, meeting those needs but also as adults we have needs and we have needs to yeah you know not try to be superhuman to not yeah. have to try to be everything one of the things that i love that one of our co-founders um dr matt swenson he's a child psychiatrist says um he says resiliency is not a skill it's a thing that happens in our relationships so it's the support that I have from from you and that you have from someone else and that they have from someone else. And as we all kind of are relying on each other and supporting each other, it creates this beautiful network of resilience. And that's what I hear you describing. That is, that's, that's really beautiful. And I guess I should also say, because I make it sound like, oh, we should let every kid do everything or something like not have any, I don't want to make it sound like that. Um, I. I know that kids, even kids that have grown up in the harshest of circumstances, the most difficult of certain circumstances, have found resiliency. And there are mm-hmm. a lot of grandparents who who are way better at disciplining than than me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I did. I think that's a totally fi- great great thing too, as long as that person feels loved, that child feels loved, yes. um, and accepted. Uh, I, I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to say that my way is right. I'm more, I don't know. I, I was, I've always, it's always been difficult for me to be a disciplinarian. So, um, and you know, <laughs> so yeah. there's not one right way. And I can even Absolutely. put that into math. I always tell my students, I'm going to do it this way up on the board. I'll do it as many different ways as I know how. But there's always more than one way. And the way my dad said it, who was a math teacher, to skin a rabbit which uh-huh. is the worst analogy. I hate that because that's really a gross picture. I always heard it skin a cat. So I'm glad oh, that I think what it was. I, I think rabbit is better than cat already to start with. <laughs> okay. So, so anyway, there, there is always more, more ways, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to show love, to, to raise kids or whatever. But anyway, sorry. No. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really, really important too, because, um, I've also been thinking a lot about how people want, you know, the expert answers, which like, yes, like, let's go to the research. Let's learn the best Uh ways to do this and also recognize that we have so much creativity and intuition and there are so many, maybe we can say roads that lead to Rome as a little bit less violent, 
Ah, there you go. I to start using that. That's true. Yeah. And, I, and it makes me think, um, I just had another thought, but in the legislature, you know, I'm on the social services appropriations and I'm also on the health and human services committee. And I've been on law enforcement, just these different committees that, that are really interesting. And, and there are some hard issues that we tackle. Yeah. And, and a lot of times, and I, I, I know that when I was younger, I thought this way myself. Um, well, people should be able to just pick themselves up, right? Like I see that I did it. I see that person did it or whatever. Let's, these people should just be able to act like this. You know, we mm -hmm. have some, something, some way we think that people should, should be able to act. But, but when we're dealing with families and children, I think the children are what we have to look at. And if we are insisting that their parents have to act a certain way before they can have stable housing or act a certain way before they can have food or, or healthcare or any of these things, right? Um, what we're saying is, and your kids are going to suffer for that, like, yeah. which is a next generation is just going to repeat many of the same same sadnesses, right? And yeah. And so, and so I've kind of changed my, my attitude a lot as I've started to see, um, you know, that, I don't know, I've lived in government subsidized housing. I've, I've had to go on Medicaid. I have used WIC. I, there, I have kids who are very neurodiverse that I have struggled um, quite a bit with. And, and all of these things have, but. I also have great privilege because I came from a family that loved me and took care of me, right? So I had, I always had that, that was educated. And, um, but I, I haven't, I have no right to judge someone else yeah. and, and what their situation is. I just know that I don't. And, and we need to be taking care of these families because yeah kids are our next generation and, and it just will repeat that problem if we don't take care of our kids something that comes back to our everyday strong model too which is like you know if we want people to be resilient then their needs need to be met and yes, exactly and and sometimes you know i i look at like when we see like a mental health crisis and you know you have this particular population you know has higher mental health issues or whatever mm -hmm. and it's it's like well, yeah, because of course like, they do because they they don't have enough money for food and they don't have like, uh -huh. you know, like these like very concrete things that actually have nothing to do with like any particular mm -hmm. diagnosis or anything like wrong with society. It's just like anxiety happens when your needs aren't met. It's like you get afraid. It does. It does. And it, is, it affects your physical health. Health. I read a book mm -hmm. um, called, oh gosh, now I won't be able to remember what it's called, The Deepest Well. And it was by Dr. Nadine Burke. Anyway, and, yeah. uh, it was so fascinating to me because I've always, you know, I, I've known that if you have the adverse childhood experiences, those cases, that it's going to affect your mental health, right? Um, but she explains how it affects your physical health. And it's not because you're not eating good food or this or that. I mean, that does break into it but it actually goes to that DNA level and affects your DNA. Yeah. The more ACEs that you experience. 
And so it's easy for someone who hasn't experienced those things or has had counter resiliencies, right? Counter cases yes. where they've had a parent who cared for them or whatever. So much love, so much stability in yeah. the home. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's easy to look at someone who maybe is just not making it, right? And has all these health problems and has all these, uh, just, just isn't making it and say, look, you had the same thing as me. You, you should be able to, to come out of this, but their actual DNA has made it so that they are going to have a higher chance of diabetes, higher chances of heart attack, no matter what, you know, Mm -hmm. and obesity and, and, and the mental health problems that come along with it. And so we, so I just feel like, oh my goodness, it's so important to, to increase these social determinants of health around our families and around our individuals and to be understanding, empathetic, and just give help where needed, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, these, uh, this is where we're talking about love, right? Like this comes mm-hmm. from more than just the head. You know, there's always this interplay of what this looks like at the personal level and then also at the societal level. And I I just love, you know, the way that you're thinking about how do we solve this, like, at a big scale. And we think about what we want for our own kids and to have enough empathy to want that for other people's kids, too. That's what I hear you advocating for. Uh, Yes, I I am a firm believer and I don't know the quotes, but I know. I'm not the first person to think of this for sure, but if someone's suffering somewhere, then we're all suffering, right? We are all connected. We are all brothers and sisters. We are all a part of this world. And, and, and what, anything that we can do to alleviate the suffering of others will also alleviate the suffering of ourselves. Yeah. And, and so I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I do think love is the answer. There you go. (laughs) <laughs> they're rare yeah and that it's like we were saying like we were saying at the beginning as well like that is it's not always easy to know exactly what that looks like and it takes right. sometimes a lot of work on our part even learning how to you know like we're talking about all these big issues around you know feeling like like big things are at stake and like we're not we don't have room to fail and if we don't feel that way, then it's going to be harder to help our kids feel that way. Or like, yeah, we're just, there's so much like we have to always be doing this work to make it easier for ourselves to love other people and to not feel like there's scarcity around like, well, if I, yes. you know, if I, if I, if I support Medicaid, then like, I'm not going to have enough for my family. Like, you know, it's right. just how do you always kind of work through those issues on yourself so that you can love the way that you want to? Right. Those, those scarcity issues are, are real, you know, that people really feel them Mm -hmm. and, and different people are going to handle things differently. I, Mm -hmm. my personality is very optimistic. Not Mm -hmm. every, I mean, and my, my husband would call me unrealistic. I call him (laughs) pessimistic, you know, like, so, but, but I, I really do appreciate, um, the like Buddhist teachings or whatever that just say, let's care about this moment, right? Yes. Let's live in yes. this moment now. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting. Um, with the, well, and if we are having anxiety because we're, of the future, we can't, 
the future, we can't really do anything about it. So that anxiety isn't well used, right? Yeah. Um, And then we can worry about the past, but we can't change that either. But we can change what we're doing right this minute. Mm -hmm. And and we do have to plan for the future. But but that's really hard because like we just said in this conversation, the future is, is changing so fast. It is. Um, and so to, to care more about the future than people that we have here right now, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know. You know what the right yeah. answer is there. But we have some, we big, have some big issues coming up. Sure. Our county, right? Uh, like uh-huh. things that are changing fast. And I, I, I know so many leaders who are, you know, doing such a good job to try to get us ready for that future. And I think... Even like from the time that I moved here 15 years ago, I was just reflecting, for example, that like front runner that that like uh-huh. was created the year that I moved here. Right. And wow. like we just have to be doing so many things to be preparing for what is coming up ahead. And that that's that's hard. Right. It's hard to make those choices. Well, it's hard, too, because because of what we were talking about, it to be nimble, to be able mm-hmm. to change mm-hmm. our thinking, because sometimes mm-hmm. Um, for so long, it was roads, 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 roads. And it's mm-hmm. hard to get out of that thinking. But mm-hmm. if we built enough roads for all the cars of the future, we wouldn't have any place left to live, right? We just need <laughs> cars on road. So we have to be able to think of different ways. And I think going back to the our our kids and like my students, um, mm-hmm. young, they're the ones who are going to have the ideas. They, they had, I think they do have more nimble minds. They maybe aren't so set on tradition and what we've always done. And, you know, they're, they're thinking, oh, well, why should I do that? Yeah. You know, Which sometimes can like drive us crazy as adults of like, yes, well, because I said so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but oh, like, yeah. that's a gift too, right? It's like both the annoyance and the gift. Yes. I, I know my own children, um, they challenged me often as to mm-hmm. why do I have to do that? And I, I had to think, I thought, well, I owe them a why. And sometimes it was just, oh, uh, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe we don't have to do that. <laughs> that important. What's a different thing we can do that would, you know, and, and, but that's hard because we get something set in our minds and then to have to change that. Change is hard. Change is just always hard. You know. Well, let me ask you one question as we wrap up this wonderful conversation. You said that you're an optimist. When you think about our youth and what's coming for them in the future, what's one thing that you're really optimistic about? I think that they have a more global perspective of many things. And when I talk to, I I like to go talk to high school classes or different things like that. And I always tell them, and even my, my college students, I say, you, you are my hope for the future. My generation, yeah. we did okay. You know, the world hasn't exploded, so we're all good. <laughs> but I, they are going to change the world, and I think they're going to do it in a good way because I think that, that most of them have, are, I think that they are developing compassion and empathy and a global perspective at a younger age. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful, right? And I think those are exactly the skills that are going to be going to be needed. And um, I feel optimistic about that too. 
Thank you so much for being here today. I loved this conversation. Well, thank you. It was so much fun. I really appreciate it. If this episode resonated with you, you can check out our free resilience handbooks and online learning at www.everydaystrong.org. These tools tell you exactly what you can do to help the kids in your life feel safe, connected, and confident. You can choose to create a relationship with your children that will help them to learn to be resilient, regardless of the challenges life throws their way.